How do you make a vacation last? How do you hold on to the joy, the clarity, the calm? Easy. You go to Aruba. You'll spend your time relaxing on cool white sandy beaches and floating in healing blue water. You'll meet locals brimming with gratitude for an island that redefines what a paradise can be. You won't just feel great. You'll feel relaxed, renewed, and ready for life. That's the Aruba effect. Plan your trip at aruba.com. This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. The show goes on. This is the official show on the Fish Stripes podcast channel with me, Eli Sussman. I'm the managing editor of Fish Stripes, where we cover your Miami Marlins every day in our own way. The mothership for all of our content, fishstripes.com. Check it out, bookmark it, share it around for our, our news, analysis, game coverage, opinions, Marlins history, retrospectives, everything in between on the major league and minor league side. You can find us on social media, whatever your favorite platform is. If you search for Fish Stripes, you're going to find us there. And our big priority right now, please, please consider subscribing to us on YouTube. Help Fish Stripes get to 1,000 subscribers on YouTube. I'm talking to you. If you are listening to this, if all of you individually just take the second to click that button on YouTube and subscribe to us, enjoy the exclusive content that we provide there that we don't post anywhere else, that would be a big help to us in nearing that goal that we set out for ourselves entering this 2022 Marlins season. I was surprised by how well the Marlins closed out some games this week, this weekend, going 5-1 and one overall, and after sweeping the Nationals, taking two out of three on the roads against the Astros. So the small pod portion coming up is going to go through each game of that series. The meat of this episode is, I believe, my first in-season player interview of 2022 with the Marlins, a guy who has been in this organization for six years, Sean Reynolds, originally as an outfielder, then as a first baseman, then as a two-way player, and now as a legit relief prospect, currently with the high-A Beloit Skycarp. So we're going to go to that conversation with him for most of this episode about his journey, a very unique professional journey. Six foot eight, originally a left-handed swinger, a right-handed thrower. He has really embraced what it means to work on the mound, and I just really value the way that he approaches the game, how much pride he takes in being a Marlin as well, being in the Marlins organization. That's what will stick out to you as well. So stick around for that. And first, let's go through the weekend from the Marlins and Astros along with my prospects of the week, my other general observations about this Marlins team. Stick with us. 
Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Friday night in Houston, Pablo Lopez against Luis Garcia on the mound. The Marlins win this one 7-4 behind four combined home runs from Jazz Chisholm Jr. and Jesus Aguilar, two apiece for those guys, including the one milestone for Aggie, reaching 100 career home runs. Congratulations to him. Nearly half of those have now come with the Marlins for Aggie, getting back on track after going nearly two weeks leading up to that milestone without a home run. The Jazz home run came at the very start of the game. He continues to really thrive in that leadoff spot, which was not the case last year, if you remember. He had his best production last year, betting a little further down in the order, and it's been a slightly different story this year. 0-2 pitch. Jazz goes up, gets that one, sends it deep to right center field, and that's into the Marlins' bullpen, a solo home run to start the night. <laughs> Jazz driving that bus. Whenever he is in the lineup for the foreseeable future, he's going to be the very first one that takes the plate for the Marlins. So they got out ahead. This was a wire-to-wire win. There are not a whole lot of those for this Marlins team this year. They got ahead early. Pablo, one of his, certainly one of his weaker overall starts of the season because the standard he has set for himself is so high. He was well on his way at least to like getting through five innings. He had only allowed two runs to that point before taking a comebacker, a line drive right back to him over 100 miles per hour, suffering a right wrist contusion. Big sigh of relief that the x-rays came back negative and the Marlins have already listed him as the probable starter in his usual turn in the rotation. So thank goodness it ended his night a little prematurely in the fifth inning, but it is not expected to affect him moving forward. The Marlins, they take that lead early. They were up as many as five runs in the middle of this. It got dicey with the middle relief, but then Tanner Scott, uh, a convincing ninth inning. The Astros had base runners in every inning of this game except for the ninth, but Scott converted the save, and Don Mattingly was pretty upfront with the fact after the game that Scott is their closer for the moment. The flavor of the month, maybe the flavor of the week, you would say. For the last couple weeks, Tanner Scott has been used in those closer situations, both as converting saves and also holding tie games, and he's been pretty good. Not quite the brand name closer, and I don't know if he's going to hold this down the entire year, but I think he earned it. A handful of effective outings in those high leverage spots coming through. This is one of the longest Marlins games of the season as well, three hours and 49 minutes. Moving on to Saturday, if you care at all about the betting market. The Marlins were as big an underdog in this game as I think they'd been in almost any game this entire season to this point, with Braxton Garrett facing off against Fromber Valdez, and Valdez had been pitching exceptionally consistently well for most of the year entering this one. Braxton simply outpitched him, so that was a big shocker that Braxton Garrett, in my opinion, this is the best game that I've seen him pitch in the majors. And that's saying something, he did pitch in 2020, a handful of games in 2021, and of those games, this was the best that I had seen of him. Well, he got him with a slider down and in, in and around the zone all day today. 
That's another strikeout for Braxton Garrett. That's his fifth. His slider was superb. This was a guy, as a prospect, he was valued most. Probably the signature aspect of his game was his curveball. And what we've seen beginning last year and even more so this year is the slider is overtaking it as his main breaking ball weapon to get swinging strikes against right-handed batters. And he used a sinker against both lefties and righties. Like that had some really great action. He did a good job locating it to his arm side and getting Astros hitters to chase a little outside the plate. That was fascinating to see that an Astros team that is usually so disciplined broke out of that typical tendency against Braxton Garrett. That speaks to how well he was pitching, sequencing his pitches. It was great to see even in the sixth inning, Garrett go out there with a tough decision for Don Mattingly between going, sticking with his starter and going to what was a pretty tired relief core and he sticks with Garrett longer than I expected. He got a couple outs and eventually the middle relievers took over and took it from there. This is a great outing, a very well-deserved win. And the Marlins on the other side, nothing sexy with this offense. They drew a lot of walks. They hit a lot of ground balls that just landed in the right places. There's not much else to it. They got somewhat fortunate that Valdez did not have his usual control. Solid base running as well helped manufacture a couple runs, including an insurance run late when it seemed that Tanner Scott was not going to be available due to overuse. They win this one 5-1. to one. one of the more surprising individual games from the Marlins this entire season to this point. So Sunday, I think you went into that one not exactly expecting all that much. It would be amazing if they swept that series, if they had a perfect week. But um, they do lose it 9-4. Made it very interesting in the middle there with a Brian De La Cruz revenge home run against the Astros organization that originally signed and developed him. 0-1 pitch to De La Cruz, who almost hit one out to center field his last time. And now this one to left. He does hit it out this time. De La Cruz with a three-run shot. But Justin Verlander did Justin Verlander things. Technically, that home run and all the runs that the Marlins put up on the board in the seventh inning were unearned. The Astros fielding in this series was a pretty big letdown. I think I gave some false advertising to them entering the year. Across the board, this rated as one of the better fielding teams in baseball this season. It did not look like that whatsoever in this series. In particular, Jeremy Pena, very hyped up rookie shortstop, at least he made an impact with his bat in this game. I think he had a home run, had another hit later on. So he made an impact. Avisael Garcia was a last-minute scratch with a left-hand inflammation. And I should get caught up on Garrett Cooper as well. Cooper left with cramping on, I think it was Friday, then placed on the injured list on Saturday, the COVID IL, just to be clear. And he stayed out in Sunday's game as well. So the Marlins, they were undermanned, uh, not a whole lot of power threats in this lineup. It just wasn't enough because Edward Cabrera had certainly his least effective outing of the young 2022 season. It looked a lot like 2021, Edward, to be honest with you. Like the fact that he just stayed away from his fastball as much as he did, that pitch selection just continues to perplex me. And I think it just speaks to how doesn't have a whole lot of trust in being able to locate his fastball. That's going to be such a critical piece of the formula for him moving forward. Hoping to wipe it off and stay stay with it. You know, his spot in the rotation is not under threat anytime soon. Hope he can bounce back, and I'm still a big believer in his long-term 
upside. So this game, after the Delacruz home run, it was five to four at one point. And then in the bottom of the eighth inning, the floodgates open again. Lewis Head, kind of under the radar, had been performing kind of poorly the last couple weeks. And this was about as bad as any of his other outings, especially considering that the Marlins still had a chance to climb back into the game. But instead, he allows four runs in that bottom of the eighth inning, uh, including what I think was a Jose Altuve home run that put the game out of reach. His ERA has... I don't even know the word for it. When it multiplies by six, it's gone from the low ones to over seven. Just over the past couple weeks, just since the start of June, several blow-up innings in that portion for a player that did have a lot of value to this bullpen early on. I don't think it's an overreaction at this point to say that he is on very thin ice and that the Marlins do need to consider making a change to that soft part of that bullpen and bringing guys that have more swing and miss upside. My fish prospects of the week, we're not going to go with the guest. We're not going to go with Sean Reynolds here. We'll diversify. This was the first week of Dominican Summer League play. That's where I'll go with this one is highlighting some guys that um, three of these guys had never played official minor league baseball before and got off to very good starts. Highlighting four players here on the pitching side, Lester Neen with the DSL Marlins. He was nearly perfect in his first start of his career, his first appearance, I should say, coming out of the bullpen. Four and a third scoreless innings, five strikeouts, just two base runners in that outing for right-hander Lester Neen. Also on the DSL Marlins, Oscar Colina putting up very big numbers uh, for the start of his season as well. Same goes for Anthony Pagero. He's getting a lot of hype, perhaps as the very best prospect that was hauled in in this international signing period. A 995 OPS through five games, six RBIs to this point, only three strikeouts in 22 plate appearances. Awesome to see. Similar story for, let's go to Robert Perez. Yes, Robert Perez in his very first game of his minor league career hitting two home runs and then adding another third one later in the week, a 14-21 OPS for that right fielder to this point in his very young minor league career. Honorable mentions in the upper minors to Brian Hoeing and on the hitting side to Bryson Brigman, who's a big favorite of ours in 2021. He snapped out of what had been kind of a season-long funk towards the end of May. And this particular week at home was his best series yet, both offensively and continuing to make a big impact defensively with his base running. He's a really fundamentally sound overall player. And now he's back in the leadoff spot for Jacksonville. Of course, I need to mention Troy Johnston. He just stays on fire in the middle of that double-A Pensacola lineup. So shout out to Troy Johnston as well. An honorable mention for the week that he had down on the farm. Now allow me to set the table for the Sean Reynolds conversation. He was drafted by the Marlins in the fourth round of the 2016 MLB draft. They invested quite a bit in this prep player out of California. Six foot eight, immense raw power, just 18 years old at the time of the draft. Designated as an outfielder originally, they quickly moved him to first base. Played nearly 300 games as a hitter in the organization with 35 home runs, with 31 stolen bases at that size, if you can believe that, listed at 240 pounds. 
a slash line of 178, 287, 344, a 630 OPS. So at that position, doesn't really play with those kind of numbers. And Reynolds, as you'll hear in this conversation, he was about as blunt about analyzing his game as anybody. I spoke to Reynolds in the middle of that run when he was coming off a year with short season Batavia. You can find that article on Fish Tribes, and I think I'll link to it in this podcast page as well about just how fascinating his profile was. Ultimately, there was just too many strikeouts in there, too big of a strike zone to protect. And it was during that 2020 COVID cancellation season that he decided to fall back on his history as a pitcher, going back to high school, just give it a shot, Um, just throwing when he had so much free time to do that and explore all his options. And thankfully, the Marlins kind of embraced his initiative to try that. So less than two years later, after going back to the mound for the first time on his own initiative, he is now doing that full-time. And in the middle, he played as a two-way player. We get into that as well. Here in the 2022 season, with high A Beloit, a 3.05 ERA, a 3.32 fielder independent pitching, well above average in both departments, over 20 and two-thirds innings. He leads the Sky Carp with five saves, and he's been especially sharp recently. This is the reason why I reached out to him, is it's not just about the curiosity, it's about my genuine belief that this is a prospect again. This is a pitching prospect that could make an impact in the big leagues in the not-too-distant future. He is really cracked into something over the last month or so. Most recent nine and two-thirds innings, he has struck out 17 batters, only allowed three hits in that last nine and two-thirds. His ground ball rate has shot up from 2021. It was 27%. That's low. That's really scary. It has shot up to 44% this year, which is even better than average. He is missing bats. When he's allowing contact, it's the right type of contact. And the stuff is clearly on the rise. He has worked and worked and worked to harness that stuff and to get the most out of his unique frame. I think he's doing that, and it might not be long until he rises up even higher in this Marlins organization. There are some conventional top prospects for sure on the Skycarp team that are having encouraging seasons. I could touch on them. Cody Morissette, the 2021 draft pick. He's 18th on my own Marlins prospect list. He leads the club in home runs and runs batted in. He's been awesome in the clutch this year. Nassim Nunez, he's my 20th Marlins prospect. He has 26 stolen bases, not yet even halfway into the year. He is among the minor league leaders in that category while playing exceptional shortstop defense. Their starting rotation is rock solid and really deep. All five of those guys in the rotation now deserve a shout out from Dax Fulton, Evan Fitterer, Pat Monteverde, Zach King, MD Johnson. I'm curious about all five of those guys that are racking up, you know, the big innings and going multiple times through the order. For now, I wanted to talk to Sean because he's got that unique background and I, I think he has tapped into something very fascinating here in 2022. It's a path that very few other professional players can relate to. And I hope that is something that is going to stick with you once you get through listening to this whole thing. Here is my interview with Sean. Enjoy. Enjoy. 
We have a special guest here on the official show, a very unique guest. He's one of the longest tenured players in the Marlins organization. Been here about six years now. He's one of the tallest guys in the organization, listed at six foot eight inches. And he's one of the only ones in recent memory that the Marlins have at different times developed as a hitter and now as a pitcher. So he's in the middle of a very successful season with high A Beloit. It's right-hander Sean Reynolds. I appreciate you taking the time, Sean. No worries, man. How's it going? It's going good. I, I want to sneak a pop quiz by you at the very start of this. As I yeah, said, yeah. drafted in, in 2016. Can you name, there's three other guys from that draft class who are still playing in the Marlins organization. Can you name uh, them? Yeah, it's um, Braxton, number one, obviously. Yeah. Uh, I think Thomas Jones is still, yeah, obviously he's in double A with Pensacola. Yeah. And myself. And I think um, I want to say Parker Bug. Yeah. All right. Yeah. Nice. I think that's is that it, right? That's all that are. That's crazy, man. That's wild to think about. Right. I was, I was looking at it, and I almost missed Parker because he was way down there towards the end. But you, Braxton, yeah. and Thomas Jones in the early rounds. There are like just very few guys that were drafted back then, obviously under old ownership that are still here. Is that something that ever comes up in conversation? Is that something you think about how you're just one of the few guys that have been here this long? Do you, are you like a tour guide in Jupiter when people come in and they're getting acquainted to the place for the first time? You must know it like the back of your hands at this point. Um, yeah. Well, so funny enough, I mean, I don't know if I ever mentioned this to you or, but I, back when I was a kid, when I was like 10 or 11, I lived in Jupiter for a couple of years just right. for by happenstance. And then obviously ended up coming full circle, but um, yeah, I mean, it's wild to think about dude, when you go back to, you know, like you said, the old ownership and the old kind of just organization that was here, you know, uh, before Jeter and uh, Gary Denbo and, you know, now Kimming and the people that we have, running the show um yeah dude it's that seems like forever ago but i can also think back to certain things and like you know the memories some some memories that i have you know some good some bad um that i could think to that are like i can think of like yesterday so yeah yeah it's crazy to think about for sure and the fact that there's only four of us left is i mean that's you know i don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing but i'm just you know still doing my thing and i i, I can say the other say the same for the other three so it's a good time. Yeah. For people that aren't familiar, you did spend most of your pro career to this point as a hitter. I mean, you played outfield a little bit straight out of the shoot in 2016, but mostly as a first baseman the next few years afterwards as a hitter, a three true outcomes type of guy, a lot of home runs, a lot of walks, a lot of strikeouts. Yeah. And, I mean, you were somebody that was young for each level that you were playing at as well. So, I mean, even the numbers don't look great overall, but I was, legitimately like intrigued about you as a hitting prospect to see that the power that you had at that age and the athleticism you had overall but on the other side of covid you come out and you're you're pitching and for a little while you're doing both things so yeah. i'm just curious when that what was the first time that the possibility of you going back to the mound came up when did that start so i actually um i have a couple of videos on my phone we were in covid and obviously we had, everyone had, you know, unlimited downtime, it seemed like. So in addition to obviously still staying in shape and, you know, I was hitting every day, throwing every day, I kind of just out of boredom, I was like, Hey, like, you know, I haven't really taken the time to build up my arm. And I had an arm injury and at the end of 2019, uh, throwing arm injury that 
happened on a swing. So I was like, I haven't really taken the time to build up my arm, you know, since I stopped pitching. And even though I'm a first baseman, like still not a bad tool to have. So I kind of just started long tossing and, you know, taking, taking it a little more serious, not, you know, not serious as in a career, but serious as in just the maintenance of my arm and taking care of it. Um, and I ended up hopping on a mound a couple times in the summer of COVID just for fun, like through a couple, like 10, 15 pitch bullpens to, uh, funny enough, I threw one to Nick Fortes. Mm-hmm. We were, we were just messing around and, um, you know, he was like, Hey, yeah, yeah, that doesn't look, that doesn't look half bad, but yeah. So that's the first, that was like the first seed of the original idea. And I remember calling my agent and I was like, Hey dude, like, I think that, I might, you know, try and like give this thing a shot, especially if we're going to have a whole other off season to get ready. And like, you know, it might be like a useful tool to just keep in the back pocket. Mm-hmm. Cause I obviously knew that, um, 2021 at the time I was going into, I was obviously still just hitter first baseman, but I knew that that was going to be pretty much the make or break year, given the numbers and this, you know, little success and mostly failure that I had had up to that point. And it was like, you know, he's either going to do it or he's not. So I really was just thinking, you know, might as well have the arm ready. And I think uh, fast forward to like November or December, um, Jeff DeGroote and I remember Pat Osborne uh, came and kind of talked to me individually and like, hey, you know, we knew you pitched in high school and um we kind of want to see what that's all about. So if you want to start a throwing program, you should talk to Scott uh, Aldridge, our pitching coordinator and, you know, see what he's got for you. And then we can go from there. So that was, yeah, November, December of 2020. And then started kind of building up, um, hopped on the mound for a couple innings, a couple times in spring training. I think, I think I threw like one inning twice and you know it went pretty well and I think the first time I threw I was up to like 94 so that obviously catches the attention of most people and I was kind of surprised honestly because it it had been so long since I had thrown um but yeah and then like you said we ended up so last year I was doing both at the beginning of the year through spring training and I was excited about that at the time but looking back on it I mean it gives me even obviously everyone knows who Otani is and what he's doing, but that gives me even more respect for him because I like to do that for a month at the low A level. And I wasn't even doing it to the level that obviously he's doing it at, or, you know, where he's doing it. So it, I was exhausted every day and my body was, you know, pretty beat up just mm-hmm. after like three weeks of playing twice a week and throwing once a week. So like, I can't, you know, for him to be doing what he's doing is even more respect from my end, but, um, yeah, the two-way thing didn't last too long, ended up just converting, I think in like early mid-May of last year. And then, yeah, since then, dude, just kind of looked at it as, you know, a new lease on my career, obviously, because most guys don't get to basically flop as a hitter and then come back and get to do it on the mound. So definitely a huge blessing to be where I'm at. And like I said, just looking at it as a new opportunity and kind of a second chance at now with all the experience I've gathered, just being in and around the game to kind of apply it as an older, more, I'd say grown up version of myself and a second, you know, pretty much second go around at a career. 
Well, tell us about your stuff, each of your pitches that you use and um, the way you use those pitches. So I always had pretty good feel for different off-speed pitches. And, you know, I never really struggled. Strikes were never really like a thing that I was like ever struggled with. Obviously, after five years off coming back last year, I knew that I would be able to throw a good fastball, but the off-speed pitches were definitely going to be a struggle. So I think learning to spin the ball again was one of the things that I was like, took me the longest just to get comfortable with of being able to throw not just a fastball where I want, but change up curveball, whatever kind of breaking ball. Um, so right now I got just a four seam fastball. I throw a circle change, like a little two seam grip. And then just a, it's kind of like a slurvy, not quite 12, six, not a slider either. It's just like a little slurvy breaking ball. Two, two pitch breaking ball, cold strike three. Like I said, I've always had pretty good feel for being able to throw the ball where I wanted to. And obviously it's taken me, you know, I've tried to be patient after five years, not, not touching the ball or not towing the rubber at all to, for it to all come back and sync up and it's, it's getting there. So it's exciting. How much of that stuff uh, is all you in terms of just using the same pitches you did in high school or how much has been, have Scott and everybody else been developing you with those pitches? I'm not going to shortchange myself on, on the credit where it's due, but also, you know, the coaches and the coaching staff that we have from a pitching, the pitching side of this organization has been tremendous. I think every guy that every coach we have has been super helpful. They're super approachable. You know, if you have a question or you just want to talk baseball or just talk about anything, you know, you can, you can go and kind of shoot the breeze and have a good chat with them. And, you know, they're always open and willing to help. And it's not about, you know, a one size fits all, method right like they understand that different guys do different stuff well and but yeah like you said the change up is definitely one of the things that I think that I've noticed too about our organization is if you want to pitch well and not only that but get promoted is you got to be able to throw the change up in the zone and mm -hmm. that's one of the things I definitely recognized myself early on last year in the transition period was like all right if I'm going to do this I need to get this change up needs to get good so that's definitely been for the past. I mean, since I started throwing, that was probably the most energy I've put into a different pitch besides the fastball, um, which is good because, I mean, it's paying off. And I think if you ask, you know, if you ask somebody else, they might tell you different, but I think it's my best pitch. The 0-2 to Myers. Got him. Right. You mentioned just a few minutes ago about how what, early last year, your VLO was getting up to like 94, but yeah. watching you recently um, up to what, 99 when you really yeah. like are firing on all cylinders. So is that the biggest difference? Not the biggest difference. Is that another difference from you like last year to this year is that your VLO is just better? Yeah. Before? I mean, the up, uh, I honestly, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'm not going to shy away from it. I'm surprising myself a little bit, but you know, definitely not upset about it. Um, I knew that I probably had realistically more in the tank, especially after last season, I could kind of feel that like I was going good, but the delivery was still so foreign to me after five years of not doing it. So I knew that I probably had more that I could probably get up to like sitting 94, 95 instead of last year, I was probably like, you know, 90, 92 range on any given day. Um, but yeah, I definitely didn't think this recent, you know, kind of jump as, as the weather's gotten warmer, um, did not see this coming, but 
it's definitely an advantage and it's, you know, it's kind of fun to get to get to use out there, especially when the adrenaline's pumping in the ninth inning, it kind of takes care of itself. So it's, uh, yeah, not going to complain about it for sure. As we're talking, I believe it was on Tuesday where you had that outing ninth inning, you strike out the side and you went almost all fastballs. You were just blowing it by guys either in the zone or when they tried to chase it, they had no shot. Slam the door. Three, two again. Swing and a miss. And that ends the ball game. You strike out the side. That was almost as exhilarating an inning that I've seen watching somebody in a while. I saw the way you celebrated after closing yeah. it out. To, to this point in your career, I think you had almost 40 relief outings to this point. Was Is that like the, the best that you felt on the mound? Is that's, that the highlight that's up for you? There. Yeah, that's up there for sure. Um, that was a fun one, dude. That's just, I think that's the thing that I love most about obviously not only my job as you know the closer or the back end guy whatever you want to call it it's always great to come in with a lead and that's fun but I think the way that we won and you know the fact that the whole team kind of contributed to put us up late like as I was warming up we were down and then all of a sudden boom 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 four two out hits up two runs and then that obviously gets the blood pumping a little bit and yeah I mean that's why you do it honestly that's why that's why you work your you know your tail off in the po in the off season and through spring training and it's like for moments like that to come out and slam the door is yeah that's all you can dream of right there and in that scenario and that was a blast for sure i'd put that up there i'm probably number one well we're talking with sean reynolds here on the official show a few more questions for you the one that i'm most curious about is like being a reliever in the minors, what you're do you actually know when you're going to pitch? Because in the big leagues, obviously, it's all about winning games, and those guys don't get put into those situations until uh, the team makes that call. They never really know; they're on the edge of their seat. Um, in in the minors, obviously, they're developing, winning, they're balancing winning games and also developing you guys and putting you in the positions to do well. Entering a game, do you have a general idea on what days you're going to pitch and what you're going to be asked to do? those days um, I think I'd say the coaches do a pretty good job of of kind of blending you know like you said it's everybody has to get in there at some point right so it's like if I throw on Tuesday and you know I threw I threw 30 you know let's call it 30 pitches then I know realistically like like you said in the big leagues I would be I would have to be ready boom 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 like that next day but realistically with the amount of guys that you have and that being said also too, like the bullpen that we have here on this team at the high A level is in my opinion, second to none. Like we got from top to bottom, anybody you call on that sheet could go in and close the game out theoretically. So um, especially when you got a, a roster as deep as we do, you kind of know that, you know, the innings are going to have to be spread evenly, especially when you got guys coming in that, I mean, you can pick from a hat, 94 95 with a banging curveball and a really good changeup. so um but yeah i think if you let's say like if i hadn't thrown for a week right i'd probably have a pretty pretty good idea that i'm going to be up that day but for the most part during the game it's kind of just at random you know it's they try and treat it like once the game starts it's like you're playing a real game but throughout the week you kind of get a feel for when you might be in so I think to this point in the season, you lead the team in saves, but you're not, you're saying you're like not the official closer. So like the, uh, I mean, you never really I, know for sure when you're getting I, in. in my opinion, I am, I, mm -hmm. you know, I'm not going to be shy about it, but 
my point is that we have, you could go down the list one through, I think we have 10 guys in the bullpen and you could literally pick one out of a hat and they could go in and get a five, six out save any night, you know? So it's not, um, definitely not just me. We got guys that have been doing it all year and honestly have been doing it their whole career. Um, well, take a second to um... shout out Tyler Mitzel for that one real quick. Well, yeah, him and anybody else that you want to shout out and saying hi things about this bullpen that um, I mean, what, hey, what man, guys in there? Y- y'all can look up the roster. They all they all shove. And yeah, it's uh, it's a good group of guys we got. As you said a couple of times, I mean, this team has been playing amazing the last few weeks as we're recording this, I think, 12 and three in the last 15 games. Um, honestly hotter than any of the other Marlins affiliates at the moment. So even on the position player side, on the starting pitching side, are there any particular prospects that jumped out to you for um, just the talent that they have? Even if you guys that you're a teammate with maybe for the first time, or even those that you just feel got a lot better this year. Um, Honestly, man, I said from, I said from the day the roster came out, about the team that we had obviously throughout the season you know it's going to shift a little bit but I think we've actually had the same pretty much full group of guys since the season has started and I was saying I was telling everybody when we were getting our stuff ready to come up here is like this team's really good we don't have a single weak link if you go around the infield around the outfield through the batting through the batting lineup and especially now that it's warmer obviously the Midwest League is horrendous to hit in for the first six weeks But now that it's warmer, guys are starting to put together tougher at bats. And, you know, as a unit, top to bottom, we're swinging the bats really well. Um, As far as people who have stuck, I mean, I would like to say there's a few, but honestly, it's been everybody. Like the level of play that when you're a pitcher and you know that if the ball gets put in play in the field, that it's generally going to be an out is a really good feeling. And especially in the minor leagues where, you know, I've been on teams where it's like balls in play or, it might be a toss up, you know? So as far as anybody who stands out, I'm going to say everybody, because I think legitimately everyone has done something to contribute to this team's success and obviously to their own individual success. Um, But yeah, man, I, I love, love the group that we have here. And obviously double A, triple A too is, I think, honestly, I remember talking to you, like you said, in the, in 18 and instructs. And I said that looking around and looking at the talent that was on the field in three, four five years, the Marlins are going to be one of the best farm systems in baseball. Mm-hmm. And so, I mean, I think it's, I think that's pretty much come true because if you look around at our affiliates, obviously it's from low A to, to triple A is, I mean, stacked with talent. So it's a good time. Yeah, it's creating good problems to have covering the major league yeah. team. But people say like just crying to try to get some of these guys up that are, are that seem to be ready, that are ready to like be difference makers and balancing, you know, the established vets between those guys that are waiting on that opportunity. Uh, you, you talked about the upper levels of the system. You're performing really well this year, especially lately. Um, does the organization give you any particular understanding of what you need to do to move up to double a Pensacola. Is there a checklist of things that you think you think you feel you need to do, or is there any like clear communication about what it takes for them to reward you for how you're pitching down here? Um, you know, honestly, I don't know if it's, it's one thing or a combination of things that there's certainly been no checklist put in front of me if, there, if, if one does exist. Mm-hmm. Um, 
But as far as all that's concerned, man, I, I really came into this year with the single goal of I want to enjoy myself every single day, no matter where I'm at. If it's low A, high A, the big leagues, double A, triple A is just the only thing that I set out to do this year was one, obviously stay healthy. And two is just be present wherever I'm at and just keep enjoying myself. And, you know, the work doesn't change no matter where you are. And I think that's something that as a young player is you really don't quite grasp the whole, like how to be a pro aspect of professional baseball is like the work doesn't change. You could be in the GCL, you could be in the DSL, or you could be in Miami how you work and how you approach the day and how you go about your business that all remain or should remain the same in my mind. So whether I'm in Beloit or, I mean, you know, obviously, like you said, the end goal is I want to get my, get to Miami as as fast as possible, but I'm also going to not, not rush anything too quick. Cause I know that, you know, I used to spend a lot of my time wishing I were other places and, and definitely higher in the organization that I think that just takes away from whatever you're trying to do right now. So trying to stay where my feet are and keep playing good baseball with this with the team that I just mentioned because I mean we're having a blast right now and we're winning a bunch of ball games last thing that I had in mind is that doing the math as a 2016 draft pick if I have this right at the end of this year you could be a minor league free agent is that right they need to put you on the 40 man or you get to uh, test the market? yeah I think so I think so so I'm uh, based on the way you're talking that probably hasn't entered your mind but um, I, I think kind of inevitably it, it might, right? Like if it feels like you're, you want to this year in particular, um, it's not only about the Marlins. It's about this reaching an inflection point in your career where like, if for whatever reason, like this long relationship comes to an end, that there's all these other teams that are going to have an opportunity to put you in that position to contribute to them. Yeah. I mean, like you said, I think uh, that's something too that you learn as you know when I, as compared to when I was a young player to now is you hear coaches and staff and coordinators say it all the time but you really don't quite get a clear like understanding of what they mean when like you play for all 30 teams every day and there's because there's a scout in the stands or there's multiple scouts in the stands or there's somebody that knows this guy that knows that guy that knows so-and-so's wife you know that the connections are endless behind the scenes so really that that mentality of like you play for all 30 teams every day and you know one of them's gonna there's there's a spot for me somewhere I know that and you know I would like it to be with the Marlins but if it's not then you know we'll cross that bridge when we come to it but yeah I am hoping the market's good for six, eight relievers. <laughs> <laughs> and that's, that's going to wrap us up here with, with Sean Reynolds, right-hander right now with the high bullet sky carp, um, but really coming into his own as a reliever, long time in the Marlins organization. And uh, it's just great to see you um, after all these years, like really in this groove, Sean. So I'm glad you're having fun out there. Glad the team's playing well. And I appreciate all the time that you gave us here on the pod. Yeah, absolutely. I appreciate it, man.